Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show, the number one podcast where we admit no matter what happens, daddy has the advice we need to fix our problems. Introducing my dad, Mr. Wayne Friedman. That was good. It would be nice if you could also sing a song. What would the song be? You love Paris in the springtime. I just made up some words to it. I love Rena in the springtime. I love Rena in the fall. <laughs> That's right. That's good enough. <laughs> oh boy. Let's dive in. Today we have Claudia Miller. She's a bona fide career chameleon and hustler. She has all the tips and tricks to help you conquer COVID in the career space and get you that job of your dreams. You may have seen her work featured in Business Insider and Forbes. Claudia, welcome. I listened to an interview where you were talking about that you can redo somebody's resume pretty much just by talking to them. Yeah. So my process is a little bit unorthodox or different from other resume writers, where typically if you haven't worked with a resume writer before, it's, you know, you either get on a one hour phone call with them, they'll ask you some questions, or some others have you fill out a form and you kind of talk or walk through your past experiences. With me, it's a little bit different. Typically, I like to get to know you and ask you questions live. So I've been able to build this skill now where most of my clients are resume writing. I usually get on a call with them for about two to three hours, depending on their experience. And I'll just have them tell me a little bit more. I'll say, Rena, tell me a little bit more about, so what do you do as a podcast host? You know, do you do a lot of sales and pitching? Do you probably do a lot of project management? Can you walk me through that? On average, how many episodes are you doing? So now you're also producer and editor. And we really drill down into, you know, the professional experience. And while you're talking to me, I'm writing the resume right in front of them. I want to make sure that it's still a reflection of who they are. It's still within their personality, that I'm being accurate as well, where, you know, I wouldn't be able to get this live feedback if I was just doing it on my own, kind of in my own silo. And that's how I'm able to, you know, really write those resumes. I really can captivate and be able to get, grab like those golden nuggets because I know exactly what's going to make them stand out. So for example, if you're a podcast host, and I'm just using this for right now because it's the top of mind, if you were to say, you know, tasks include producing, editing, and then working with guests. If you say that, it's a kind of like, I know, what about it? What makes you so different? How are you going to be able to stand out from the competition? I want to know, how did you come to this process? Were you before like taking people's resumes, not having two to three hour conversations, and then you're like, stuck or it was feeling less authentic? So just to kind of go back a little bit. Uh, so personally, I've used resume writers, especially when I was in college, I went to my career counselors and, you know, through there, they will same thing, ask me questions. And I really had one career counselor that really stood out and like, she became, now she's a friend and, you know, she's also doing resume writing and everything, but she did it in a different way where, you know, she kind of asked me a few questions and I was able to give more insightful information. And I really appreciated that because one, if I'm already writing a paragraph or answering questions of what I do. I might as well just do it myself. That's kind of like the pain point. It's hard for me to explain what I do or how to sell myself or, you know, I don't know what's going to make me stand out. I think that what I'm doing, everybody knows how to do. But of course, when I get on a call with them, I'll say, 
not every, you're actually doing a job of three people. Most people in your role don't actually don't have these skills or have never been exposed to these other processes that now you can bring that to value and actually that's going to be your differentiator. So I went through that process with her and I really enjoyed it and it was a little bit more accurate where my other career counselors, I had to go back and like, wait, that I didn't even mention that. What does that even mean? This is too generic. I feel that is very task oriented. It sounds very cliche. And I started doing it for my friends. So they're like, hey, Claudia, we love your resume. I started doing it for myself because at that point, for most colleges, like after a year or two of graduation, they don't provide that service for you anymore. It's mostly for current students. So I had to just do it myself. And then I started doing it for my friends. And then they were like, you know what, Claudia, I had interviews already. I couldn't get interviews. I already have like three or four lined up um, in the next week or two. And then it just started ramping up and I started helping other people. And it's just something that's what I learned because that's something I prefer. And one thing is, I like I said, I, it was just a pain point to have to write things about myself or, you know, where I feel like there's so many blind spots. That's why I'm work, trying to hire a resume writer because I can't write it myself. I'm seeking expertise for someone to tell me what's going to make me stand out and how should I be selling myself? Yeah, I mean, I myself have used one before and I think that resume writers can help you say it in a way that you wouldn't say it about yourself. Yep, exactly. How should people be selling themselves? Well, if there's different ways. One of the things that you should or job seekers should really be looking to sell themselves is, you know, talk about your achievements and accolades. Talk about complex projects. Be open to say, hey, you know what? I worked with a project where we were supposed to do X, Y, and Z, and it didn't plan out that way. We were past schedule. We didn't budget correctly because that even experience of itself becomes valuable. So now you can walk into an interview and say, you know what? I've worked with projects before, so I know what not to do where, you know, I experienced within this. But what I learned from that is that I typically now as a best case, a really good best practice is adding 10 to 15, 20% of what I think the budget is going to be like in order to create that cushion and be able to stay within budget or create more realistic expectations. So being able to d decide on, you know, how do you leverage that and then turn it into a positive. Also selling yourself as well as addressing the elephant in the room. If you're a person that's trying to break into management and you've never managed people, one thing you can do is, you know, find ways that you can learn some of these management experiences. So it could be either through, you know, shadowing someone, maybe part, be part of a hiring committee or committees where you're kind of reviewing people's salaries and benefits that's going to be company wide and, you know, understanding of like, what should be going to legal. So for example, for a lot of state and federal companies, and even these big Fortune 500 companies, one of the things that they're scared about hiring a first-time manager is putting the company at risk. Are you going to be handling an employee where now I have a class action lawsuit because of you know, many multiple reasons? Or maybe that person wasn't a good actual employee, but you handle it the wrong way that now it exposes us to risk. And now that employee can come back and sue us or you know, whatever that may be. So it's understanding what is our company guidelines. And one of the things I tell, you know, first time managers or when they're being interviewed is just address the elephant in the room. 
by the way, I know I haven't managed people directly, but here's the things that I've done. And, you know, what I know is I want to make sure I'm protecting the company while still, you know, being a good coach and mentor to my employees to create a very thriving team. When things I don't know the answer to or how to move forward, especially from a risk or legal perspective, I make sure to call HR, human resources, or refer to the guidebook in order to help me lead and how to deal with these situations before I take action. Now, all of a sudden, as a you know person looking to hire someone, I feel a little bit more at ease because you understand my pain point and worries. And now I can go past that and start focusing on other areas that I may be looking for in a candidate as opposed to kind of have it in the back of my mind of like, I can't be hiring this person. They've never been a manager before. I don't want to get in trouble by hiring a person that put the company at risk. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I also was thinking about like somebody who has managed maybe like three to 10 people, but they want to apply for a higher level manager position where they're managing 50 and they don't have that experience yet. So I think even bringing up the risk there or the fact that they have the company's best interests in mind could make them seem more appealing or that they might be up for that task. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or like you said, that or a team leader or even saying, you know, I understand I've only managed a team of 10 and 12. But for this role, it'll be managing a team of 300, especially remote and internationally. And, you know, one of the things that I've done is I've followed the SHRM or it could be human resources connections or networks where it discusses like how to handle remote employees, as well as I found some experts and mentors now that I can, you know, confide in or, you know, go for help or advice where they've actually been managing over 500 people. So how can I bring those best practices into the company? Also, I had a question about like, what if you work for an organization for a short period of time? And you have decided that that was a bad choice and that you would rather go back to the last place you were at. How do you navigate that resume wise? Do you take it off your resume if it's like a four or five month mistake? So, I mean, it depends and it's everyone's level of comfortableness. If it's for a reason where, you know, you got laid off, that's nothing your fault or for whatever reason may be, it could be, you know, that was contract work or um, I did it on a trial on basis. And what I found within the role is I'm actually seeking more of an in-house agency role. And that's why I'm more interested. I'm very interested in applying for X, Y, and Z company. And my vision and my values really align with it. And I'm an advocate of your services or products. Um, so kind of dealing with that aspect of it. But one of the things I always highly recommend people is to make sure when you move to the next company, you also check the health of the company especially right now with COVID. Last thing you want to do is go into a company, say it's great, and then you realize why everyone left the company or the writing on the wall or, you know, they start doing rounds of layoffs. And of course, you're one of the recent hires. So now you're part of that and you find yourself job searching. So like a good quick way that you can check the health of a company, especially if it's public, is listening to their earnings call. Where are they looking to focus in the next quarter or two or three quarters? How do they perform from the previous quarters? If their operations budget was really, or costs were too high, they're going to probably look to cut in the next quarter to make up for it and still stay within target for the end of the year. Well, where are they going to be cutting? Is it going to be your department that you're applying to right now? Or is that where they're going to be focusing and spending a lot of their resources in order to make it thrive? So for example, if a company were to stay in the earnings call, we're about to release a new product or we're looking to our best selling product is, you know, X. 
But we've realized that um, we were looking to really improve and really enhance it and release the next version of it. Well, more than likely, they're going to focus more on the engineering technology side of it and not so much on other areas, maybe like sales or marketing. Because it's already a well-known product, it's kind of created a name for itself. It's their number one seller already. So they're looking more to enhance it and improve it. I mean, that's where it's going to be a services. So if I was an engineer, I want to be at that company with that specific department. Another thing that I feel like is super relevant right now is that a lot of people are out of work and when you're out of work, it's much harder to be picky. It's much harder to be confident. Mm -hmm. I think that it's much harder to find a job when you don't have a job. Can you talk about strategies there? Yeah. One of the things I I want people to focus on, especially with job searching, is your mindset. It could be very soul crushing, especially when you're like, you know, I thought it was great. You know, I have, I'm educated. I have the experience. I, I feel like I'm even overqualified for this role. And then they hear back or, you know, sorry, we went with other candidates or we found someone with better fit with your or experience or whatever that may be. It could be very soul crushing, especially getting that rejection constantly when we typically don't get, unless you're in sales, you typically don't get that rejection, but even salespeople get, you know, get their souls crushed when they get that rejection. So one thing I would recommend is focusing on your mindset. So for example, a good exercise to do is just find something that you can jot notes on, whether you're a pen paper person or maybe an app where you take notes like Evernote or whatever that may be. And then when you realize something or whether you're on LinkedIn, job searching, um, or get those emails, just notice what thoughts you have. So for example, if you you see a job post, you can say, well, I don't have all the experience. I'm underqualified. I'm not good enough. This is a top tier company. It's like a Google or Facebook. They're not going to want me. I, I, I just don't have the stuff or I'm not cut out for it. Start writing those things and then come back you know, later that day or the next day. And then think of like your friend or someone that you really admire saying those same things. So people are more likely to be able to build a business case and reason for other people than you do for yourself. Like, for example, sometimes you'll may do something like, I'm an idiot. But if somebody says, does it, they'll be, you can probably say something like, it's not a big deal. It's, It's a mistake. It's nothing to call yourself something like that. So once you see those notes, you can say, well, you actually are cut off. You're actually really good for this job and you shouldn't fit hundred percent of the job description because if you do, you're overqualified. You should be looking to the next level up. Your next job should challenge you and you should be able to learn new skill sets. So my rule of thumb is typically if you are 30 to 40% qualified and know of it, just go ahead and apply. Worst thing they'll say is no, but I've actually had a lot of clients land jobs that they've only fit maybe 30% of the qualification and they made a business case that because they didn't have some of those experiences, it became a asset to the company in itself. There's a different way of creating business cases for that, but also providing that value. And again, top performers are looking to go to places where they're going to learn and thrive and not stay stagnant. Um, and they want to stay competitive. So it's always good for you to move to those jobs where you know you don't always fit 100% of those qualifications. Yeah, I totally apply for things that are out of my league and I encourage other people to do it. I've actually helped friends up-level their careers just by encouraging them. Yep. And I always say job description is almost like a wish list. 
you know, we're like, I, we hope they have all of that, but if not, they're going to learn it. Even if you fit everything, there's going to, let's just say for a lot of the hard skills, you have that information, but you know, you don't know their methodology. You don't know their processes. That's something you're always going to be able to learn, but yeah, definitely go ahead and apply. And worst thing is they'll say no. And you know, the perfect thing is, you know, that would be a really great opportunity. Like I said, it's the wish list. And I always like to use the analogy with dating and job searching. You know, most people will say, well, my dream person is, you know, we have a long list, you know, tall, dark, handsome, funny, you know, loyal, great cook and loves to clean and loves to like shop for me or whatever that is. But when we look at our partners, they probably only fit a little bit of that. Like we obviously don't fit all of their long lists, but it's just kind of like a long wish list that we all have. But at the end of the day, like we find our partners, people that we love and we want to be around with, or maybe start a family. And if you look back through that wish list, they don't fit everything. And that's still okay. Same thing with job searching. Tell me about a time that you've landed a job without a resume. Actually, this is when I was going from the financial industry. So I used to be a licensed financial rep. I was going back to grad school. And at that point, I asked my company, hey, by the way, I'm going into graduate school. I mentioned this during my interview. Um, I have a full ride scholarship that's going to pay for it. And I only have a year off. So my year is ending. So I need to go back to school and I'll still be working. Now, my hours won't be 8 a.m. to like 8 p.m., but they'll be more in the 8 to 5. And the company just said no. Like, nope, we're, you either you have to work those hours or you can leave. And at that point, it becomes a decision. And I chose to go back to school and I needed to find a job. So one of the things that I was doing is just looking through like, okay, if I need to go to graduate school, I need to find a job that's going to be flexible and it's going to be understanding. More than likely, I need to find a job easier if it's within the university just because I'm already going to be there and it makes the transition a lot easier. And I just, you know, started going to like different departments, you know, how they have like admissions and they have, you know, financial aid. So I started going to those different departments and one of them actually ended up being the office of career services. So that's where I learned some of that resume interview skills and approached them and said, Hey, by the way, are you hiring? About to start as a graduate student. You know, I have this experience and they said, actually, we might need you. We need somebody to manage our like business and operation side of it. It looks like you have a lot of experience with that. Why don't you come in? And then that's how I started that process. But I mean, I understand, especially now with COVID, you're not going to walk into people's jobs or companies and say like, Hey, you know, are you hiring or looking? So a good way you can do that virtually is through using LinkedIn now. I think actually, if you walked in with a mask and said, are you hiring? It might be thinking outside the box. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> that could be a new approach. <laughs> oh my gosh. What did you want to be when you were a little girl? First, I wanted to be a spy. By the way, I get nervous and, you know, for things like that, I can even imagine like trying to, you know, go into someone's house and trying to, it's too much for me. I get nerve wracked. I get anxiety just thinking about it. But then I went for architecture. I wanted to be an architect and I actually interned with Frank Lloyd Wright's grandson and I was part of the committee where I rewrote the architecture curriculum for high school students. And then I realized that I hated architecture <laughs> or just like the industry itself. Not well, 
I'm a very extroverted person. So when you're in architecture, you're kind of in a cubicle and you have to do a lot of the drawings. There's very little contact with people, especially like starting out. And I realized I just wasn't passionate about it. And I didn't want to be stuck in a cubicle, <laughs> just fixing people's drawings or, you know, just measuring it. I wanted to be more client facing. And that's why I went to like the financial realm of it. But yeah, I wanted to be an architect and I went to school for architecture for about a year and then switched my major to economics and sociology. Oh my gosh. I love that you wanted to be a spy. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah. Where did that come from? I guess I, I liked watching a lot of those movies, like mystery movies or even like Monk. I still watch a lot of Monk and the reruns, Jackie Chan and everything. And I'm like, I want to be like them. I want to learn how to fight and, you know, become a spy and be able to help, you know, in a way. And eventually I realized that I'm not fit for that. My anxiety <laughs> wouldn't allow me to be a spy. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Were you like dressing up as one as a kid and like... Uh, something like that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Tell me about your, your parents and like, what do they do? How have they influenced you? I was raised by my mom and my stepfather and, you know, my mom, both of them worked a lot. And so I had to raise most of my sisters growing up. So I'm the older sister. I have three younger siblings or three younger sisters. And I think it helped me. Well, what it showed me is I had to grow up very young. So, you know, I've always, they've always been told me like, I have, I'm an old soul or I'm very mature for my age and I'm like 12 <laughs> and I'm already working like part-time and, you know, I'm making sure that my sisters are, you know, cleaning the house and doing their homework, making dinner. You know, I manage a lot of like the finances around the household. So it just became, I just learned a lot of skills. So now my philosophy is like, you can learn, anything can be learned. Um, Cause even at 10 or 12, I was building furniture that my parents were buying or I was fixing stuff around the house. Um, and this is before YouTube. So figuring like, there's always a solution, let's find it. Whoa, who did you get that from? I guess I learned that no one else was gonna do it and I just had to do it myself. And that's kind of how I approach life. And now I, I have a lot of skills. <laughs> that I've learned throughout my life. I love it. I mean, it's a very interesting chapter. Okay. So you went from like being the oldest of four girls mm -hmm. to wanting to be a spy to it was architect and then financial services. Yes. And then you decided to go back to school. Tell me about the financial services chapter too. Yeah. So I wanted to be a licensed financial rep. Well, Actually, no, I didn't. When I graduated college, same thing. I didn't go to the Office of Career Services. I didn't even know that was a service provided to students. I found out about it until I was into graduate school. So I had my friends update my resume. And of course, I'm not getting any hits at that point. And of course, a company reached out to me saying, hey, we received your resume. I don't even know how it was still at this point. I don't even think there was LinkedIn. And they're like, we're hiring financial reps. And I'm like, I'll take any interview at this point. Um, I can't find a job. And you know, I go through the interview process and then I, I get the job and I'm kind of just going through the motions. Now looking back, I, you know, I wish I would have known what I know now. I wish I had people to connect with that would have helped me through my process. I wish I would have known that you can hire resume writers to do that. That would have probably changed my career trajectory. But 
I didn't learn a lot like sales, um, a lot of financial literacy around it and what I wanted out of it, which was not being a licensed financial rep. Um, so that was a great uh, experience that I received. And then I went back to graduate school um, and pivoted into healthcare. Hmm. Yeah. I tried financial services for a year and a half and I can, t- I have my life insurance license, but I've never used it. Like I did not like that either. Yeah. I think I was traumatized a little bit. I, after that, I, I mean, I was series six and 63. Like I can sell stocks and bonds and everything. And after that experience, especially with not having the support of the company, me going back to school, I just said, I don't want this. I don't, I just, I never want to think about this anymore. Now I just think about it for more personally based, but it's just something that it wasn't a very good experience. And I think that that's when I started to learn that I wanted a different life and I wanted a different outcome. So I needed to do things differently. And that's when I really heavily started investing in myself. How can I be better? I hired resume writers then, career coaches and read a lot of books, reached out to people, utilized my network. And I feel like that was a very pivotal point for me. Oh my God. I love that. I want to talk about that more because after I left the financial firm, I decided I want to be an entrepreneur. Like (laughs) I can totally relate to that. And two, like I partnered with the CPA. I started putting on events by myself. I got into sponsorship work and now too, even creating this podcast, it was like, okay, I need to outsource things that I can't handle or that I don't have time for. I need to focus on my strengths, which is booking really good stories and cutting together the story piece of it. And then trying to get sponsors that are aligned with my brand because I've worked in sponsorships. So I can now demonstrate to others that I can book my own sponsors. I can book my own guests. I can put out three shows a week. I can be a beast because I love the social media aspect of it. I love the marketing aspect of it, but the editing like takes way too much time. So I found somebody who believed in my show, believed in the stories I wanted to put together. And then she ended up even partially sponsoring the show. So I definitely like resonate with what you were saying about up-leveling, playing to your strengths, getting out of something that's not good for you, being able to pivot. That's Mm up-leveling. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that Sometimes, like you said, it happens for a reason or there's just like a trigger that happens and all of a sudden, it's almost like you wake up out of it and say, this is not my life. And I think Sarah Blakely also refers to this as, this is not my movie. This can't be my movie. I need to do things differently. And then that's when you start looking for other solutions and, you know, kind of like even the whole mindset or the universe provides, or if you're spiritual or religious, like ask and you shall receive. And I feel like I'm a true advocate and believer of that. Tell me what grad school was like after having worked for a little while. And So grad school was interesting because I was working 30 to 35 hours a week. Um, thankfully, it's still within the university. And then I was still going to school full time. And at that point, I believe I was 25. And I also wanted to always be an entrepreneur. One thing about me is that I like to say things like, oh, yeah, I want to start a business. But eventually I get tired of me saying it, but not doing it. So I woke up at 25 having a quarter life crisis. And I told myself, well, why am I feeling this way? And I was like, well, I said I want to start a business, but I haven't done anything about it. So I gave myself three months. If I don't start a business within three months, I, I'm not allowed to talk about it. I'm not allowed to say I want to be an entrepreneur. I have to move on. So I, within three months, I said, okay, what skills do I have to start a business? And I started my first virtual admin business. 
So I was doing it on the side. I had no social life. I probably saw my friends once or twice a year. And that was probably during the summertime or, you know, winter break. But it was, it showed me a lot of discipline. And I'm glad that I did it then. Because um, now I think about it, I'm like, I can't even imagine doing all that right now at this point in my life. What did that look like? I mean, I woke up around, you know, seven or eight, you know, got ready, went to work, worked from like eight to four, then left there and classes started anywhere between 5.30 to six and they ended around 9 p.m. And then you do it three to four times a week. Fridays and Saturdays are meant for mostly doing a lot of homework and managing my clients. And still, you know, trying to advertise myself, reaching out to people and getting that work done. Um, and of course, during my breaks, and if I had, let's just say I get off of work at 4.30 and my classes don't start till seven, I also try to get work done for a lot of my clients during that time. And how did you find your clients? When I said I started investing myself, I don't know if you heard of Ramit Sethi, mm-hmm. but he is a kind of like a influencer, but it's mostly on um, personal development. So he has a course on, you know, how to get a job. He also has a course on like how to launch your first product, how to do copywriting. He's the author of the book, like I would teach you to be rich. So I started learning a lot from him and he created a group called Ramit's Brain Trust. So it's creating a community of like-minded professionals that are ambitious and driven and want to elevate themselves. So I joined this group and it was like a $50 $50 monthly membership. And he also interviewed some of like the top heavy hitters, which Alta Shirt, which I know was on your show, was also good friends of Ramit. And they would bring really great speakers like that. And through their, you know, I was just network or I wasn't trying to sell anything. And they will say, well, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm actually on virtual, my virtual admin business. Like, actually, I need somebody. Can you help me? And that's when I started getting a lot of my clients. I mean, people still reach out to me for virtual admin. And of course, I don't have that business anymore, but it's those type of relationships and networks that I built through that group. That's smart. That's really smart. Yeah, I was a coach for a seven-figure like coaching program, and I got seven or eight clients just from doing that. <laughs> it's, a, it's like I said, Rosie, you're the average of your five closest friends, but even the people you surround yourself with or the work that you do with or who you work for really makes an impact on your personal life as well. Yeah. So after you did your VA business, then what? I finished graduate school. At that point, I had my master's in public health policy and administration. So I knew I wanted to pivot into healthcare. So I applied to University of Illinois at Chicago. So it's, I worked for the university on the education side, but they also have the hospital side of it. So I applied and same thing, I probably had a 30% qualification for the job. They actually were looking for someone with a nursing background. I don't have a nursing background. Um, I couldn't be a nurse. So thankful for them that they're able to do such a great and marvelous job. But the side of blood just, I'll probably faint or something. But I applied for the job. It was through networks. I was, I knew I was unqualified, but I made sure I did my research. I reached out to people within the department, within the uh, organization itself. And they told me exactly like how success was being measured here, where you can go for to get best practices. Here's what the department is currently experiencing, what they may be focusing on for whoever gets hired for this role. And through that, um, I was able to walk into the interview and I addressed the elephant in the room. One of the things was, well, we're looking for someone with a nursing background because we are looking to someone to manage the patient experience. And I used me not having my qualifications as a benefit. Well, 
I don't have a nursing background, but I do know what it is to be a patient. If you're looking to improve the patient experience, I can give you that patient perspective. Because I don't have a clinical background, I can have actual transparency to what patients know and understand. If you use clinical terms, I'm not gonna know it, therefore your patients are not gonna know that we're not healthcare professionals. You need to be able to speak to us in a way that we're able to understand and really cut through the jargon um, just because this is not something we're able to relate to. And that's how I got the job and I was able to deliver, speak to the voice of the patient without having those clinical jargon and terms. I love that. Yeah. So are you still doing that? No. So I, I learned from the state side and that's when I learned, okay, I want to learn more on the private insurance side of it. So I started working for an insurance company managing Medicaid plans. So I learned the other side of the business. And then while doing that, I started running my own career coaching business. I've always had, since I was 25 now, now it's like seven, almost eight years now, I always had a business on the side when I'm not working. I find it it's a great way to sharpen my skills. Like you said, you learn so much running your business, marketing, advertising, copywriting, creating websites, integration, how to get payments, how to get people, um, how to connect with them, how to run an event, what to delegate and so on and so forth. So I really find that that really elevates me and it helps me in the workplace. I started working as a medic, managing Medicaid health plans and you know, because of COVID, there was just a rise in like the need for career coaching, professionals looking to you know, either pivot from another industry because maybe they're in the hospitality or you know, in the transportation like airlines and now they just feel stuck and in a way of like, how can I get out of it when my industry is pretty much not doing so well at this point, but I know I have skills, so how can I pivot? And that's when I quit my full-time job to do my career coaching full-time as of August 1st of this year. Oh my God, exciting. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Well, I definitely think that there are a lot of people, I mean, I can tell you, I was working an event for a while and I have friends that were working in hospitality. I, oh my God, I just, I know so many people right now that are having a hard time finding something. Do you have suggestions for people in those industries? Yeah. So, you know, just looking at what types of job, what kind of transferable skills do you have? So for example, I've worked with people in the hotel industry. So you do a lot of customer service, project management, and then perhaps maybe um, some sales. So I had a client where they were the front desk clerk at a hotel. Well, that's still sales. You're upselling. And then I tell them like, okay, what exactly, you know, how much more do you, can you get those figures? Is there a way that we can look back or see what the average transaction is? Did you partner with other organizations or in the corporate side of it? This person actually happened to partner with corporate because they were updating their system and they actually needed help with getting a better understanding of what the flow process is from, you know, in the field or, you know, people who are actually working with customers one-on-one that maybe are coming in and renting or getting a hotel room or whatever that is. Yeah. Through theirs, identifying those transferable skills and then being able to communicate that. Now, some people probably will require to either hire a resume writer or buy a resume writing course, but it's able to identify what are those transferable skills? How can I sell that and market that and maybe be able to sell it to a new industry? Also remove all industry jargon that you know of. One of the things that I've seen is they'll say, maybe saying like patients, let's just say you're in healthcare trying to pivot into the private technology side of it. 
So instead of saying patients, they're not customers or clients. So it's just understanding that because when people hear too much industry jargon, they start saying, I don't want, I don't understand what you're saying to maybe you're not a good fit because we're looking for someone more in this industry. And it seems like you are more focused on that industry you used to have. So the more you cut the industry jargon, the more they're able to relate. And sometimes not even realize that you're coming from a different industry. So they're able to see more. It's almost a technique that um, real estate agents use when they're trying to sell a home. They'll say, take away all the pictures of the family because we want them to be able to see themselves. When you see pictures of other people, you, it's hard to see that as your own home. Same thing when you're interviewing, remove that industry jargon, try to stay generic, try to stay aligned with the voice of the company. And typically you can gain that by looking at the website or even the job description in itself. Some people might ask for someone with entrepreneurial spirit, while other companies might say, we're looking for some company, somebody that's competitive and hungry and you know, not, we're looking for a hunter and a gatherer. Well, that's their voice and other companies have different voices. So how can I align with that voice and be able to show my transferable skills? I mean, I even think when you're reaching out to people, like you said to me, like that, you know, you listened to an episode and you named the guest and just doing little things like that. It literally can be like one line or two of using their language. It's an instant connection with the person that you're reaching out to. Yeah. And I feel like most people, I know it can be hard and annoying sometimes of, you know, having to personalize your resume every single time or your cover letter or whatever that may be, but it really does make a difference, especially right now. I know pre-COVID for every job posting you saw, there are just 250 applicants. That means you're competing with 249 other people. Now, because of the search of unemployment, there's anywhere between 700 to 1200 applicants for that one job. So you doing the same as others and being generic, it's not gonna get you those interviews. You need to personalize it. You need to do your research. You need to better understand who they are, what are they really looking for, and start building connections within the company, whether you have them or not. So it's a really great skill set to say. Even though we're, you know, kind of in a lockdown and we're not able to go outside and go to these networking events, you should still be networking remotely, which I personally prefer just because it's more strategic and I can be in the comfort of my own home and start reaching out to people as opposed to, you know, going out there, which right now we can't anyways. Yeah. Wouldn't you say that networking is probably more important than sending out resumes? Yes. A lot of jobs out there, you can kind of get the shortcut to, you know, getting hired, especially right now, or how are you able to cut through the noise is through your network. So especially if you're looking for a tech giant company, so like Google, Amazon, Facebook, Netflix, Hulu, like all these amazing companies that are sought after, it's hard. They just, for one job board, they'll get anywhere between 12 to 2,500 applications. I saw for Fenty, they already had 2,500 applications and it was posted five days ago. That was only through LinkedIn. I'm sure they have applicants through their website. They have applicants through their Indeed, maybe ZipRecruiter and all these other outlets that as a recruiter, I mean, 5,000 applicants for one job, they're just going to leverage technology. And that's when um, the ATS system where people call it the black hole because you submit and you never hear back. It's because probably not a human being has seen your resume. The system didn't think you had enough keywords or were qualified enough. Therefore, it ranked you very low. And the recruiters only saw maybe the top five to 10 out of 2,000 applications. But if you're referred to the role, it shortcuts your way, and then they're able to bring you for an interview, um, especially if you have a resume that's aligned with the role you're looking to apply for. 
which sites do you think are the best right now to use? Well, it depends. So if you're looking to go through a startup company, you should check out um, Angel, Angel List. Not to be confused with Angie's List. AngelList is mostly for startups and a lot of companies like to go there. Um, you can get a lot of, a little bit more background information on companies such as like what kind of seed of funding are they on? You know, how much have they received in funding? What founder, who is the CEO or founder of that company? What companies have they founded as well? And have they been successful? Just so you can get a little bit more research done as opposed to, you know, hoping that this company goes well, or are you working for someone that's working out of a basement and this is the first time they're, you know, starting a company. Now, if it's more for technology and sales, you can go through LinkedIn. Also, you can check out Indeed. Career Builder, I mean, it depends what type of role and what type of candidates they're looking for or what kind of jobs you're looking for, but I would highly recommend AngelList for startups, LinkedIn, Indeed, even Glassdoor has some positions as well. Always, and then you can also go straight to the website in itself. Also, I am very curious how you have helped people get 30000 more for their next role. So my strategy for salary negotiation, especially I've gotten clients, like you said, 30000 I actually just had a client get a 48000 salary increase after being out of work for six months during COVID and up to 100000 with like bonuses and commission. It's through a positioning factor. So it's not something that you negotiate like, Hey, by the way, Claudia, here's a job offer for 80,000. And I don't go in and say, well, I actually, I'm looking for 120,000. <laughs> That's not how it works. The best way I've seen and most successful is doing a lot of the work beforehand. And I always say 80% of the work needs to be done before you even walk into the room. Your resume, you should work with a professional or have, you know, build this skill yourself where you have a very optimized resume where it really highlights your skills and able to stand you up. It helps you stand out from the competition. Before you even start interviewing, you should be already building connections within that company. Get that company insight. And that way, when you're interviewing, you're already armed with a lot of this information where they already know you're aligned with the culture. Uh, maybe you're saying the right things because you're part, you're in body a lot of these leadership skills that they're looking for in their you know next candidates and you can say i know you're experiencing x y and z or i know you're trying to accomplish this goal by x y and z here's how i can help you and here's where i can leverage my experiences from previous companies to help you not only meet that goal but exceed it and start preparing you even better for the next quarter or for the next year once you're the top candidate or top interviewer throughout that process the more they're going to want to hire you and you're going to be with our top candidate I always like to say you would never offer the same contract or the same value or same pricing to Michael Jordan than you do someone or like a rookie. Michael Jordan commands the high rates because he's Michael Jordan. So become the Michael Jordan in the interview process. If you're the most sought after interviewer or you're doing so great at the interviewing skills that you're knocking out of the park and you know all the other candidates are in no way comparison, they're going to probably come bring you in at the higher end of that salary range. For example, if I have the job that I'm hiring for, I can pay anywhere between 80 to 100,000. If you come in as an okay interviewer, maybe you're not really stand out, but I feel like you may be able to eventually do the role. I'll probably bring you in as an 80, 85K. But if I say like, I'm, I need to hire Rena, like she is our best candidate. She has a plan for what we can do. I'm so excited. Like, I feel like we can really do that and she's going to help us. I'll beat the competition. We're going to get competitive advantage. And she even knows how to do X, Y, and Z. We haven't even tapped into that yet. I think that she can bring a lot of value. Just bring her in at 90 to 95 K. 
So that way, if she negotiates, we're still within that range. So all you have to do is negotiate maybe an extra five to 10K and all of a sudden you're 100. The interviewer or the employer doesn't know that you were previously making 60,000. You've just set yourself up as one of the top contenders that you pay high value for that. And it's still within range. And like I said, that client that got a $48,000 salary increase, they actually went $8,000 outside their range just because they really wanted her. <laughs> Did they ask how much she was currently making? No. And if someone asks you that, you can say, well, what I'm looking for in this role or the salary range that I'm looking for is you know, X and Y. And your lower end of that range should be what you want. So let's just say you want to make 95,000. You say my salary range is between 95 and 115. That way they go towards the end of it. That's still higher. Again, not knowing that you were making maybe 60, 70,000 beforehand. But you also need to be comfortable saying that you can't get nervous. People can tell. So definitely practice, feel yourself confident. And the more you do it, the more confident you'll come across. And again, it's not just that portion, but it's positioning yourself the right way throughout the interview process and even through the resume when you're applying. But what about recruiters who ask what you're currently making? Typically, I don't answer that question. I would say, you know, what I'm looking for in the next role is this. They shouldn't even be asking you what you're making. If, if, for example, if I'm a college student and I'm going for, you know, a business degree and I'm still working maybe at a comp- at a job making 10 to $15 an hour, why should it matter what I'm making now? If I'm applying for an entry-level business analyst, I'm not going to accept a $10, $15 an hour job. Plus, I have my degree. What I'm making now is of no interest to them, and they don't need to know that. What I need to know is more about, hey, can I learn more about the role? I would be happy to discuss compensation, but first I want to get to know a little bit more about the role and the responsibilities, and then I'd be more than happy to discuss that. And if they keep asking, well, I need to know what you're making now. What I'm making now, it's not related to the role that I'm applying for. But for if you want to know my salary range, I'd be more than happy to share that with you. Here's what I'm looking for that salary. And that's it. Now, if they keep pressing, I usually say that's a red flag for a company just because they're trying to bully you or corner you. And that's probably not a good place to work at. Or it could also be just a recruiter in itself, not overall the company. And I would mention that to the hiring manager if it's something that really makes you feel uncomfortable. I had a client that it happened to them where the person just was very rude and disrespectful. And, you know, my client got the job offer and actually mentioned that to the hiring manager said, I almost didn't take this job because I had a bad experience. And, you know, I almost thought this was a reflection of the company. After that, they actually gave him a $10,000 sign-on bonus for actually being conveying that. And then that actually got brought up to leadership about that specific person. Also, I know most of the time negotiation is in the interview. It's before you sign on with the company. But what if you're at a startup and they don't get funding as quickly as they thought and you have to negotiate again because funds are not there? With negotiation, there's so much more you can negotiate size from your salary. You can negotiate, you know, you going back to school, maybe getting your MBA. Um, for them, that's a tax write-off. They'll probably say, you know what, we can't pay you that 20K extra, but what if we pay for your college? They get as a tax write-off. It's a win-win situation. It could be maybe working from home, which now it's common, but beforehand it wasn't. It could also be professional, you know, development. Maybe you don't want to go back to an MBA, but you do want to take courses that will make you build your skill set. You can include that as well child care services, expenses for, you know, working remotely. If you're working for a company, like there's so many other things. And then what you can always say is, you know, I'm very excited about the opportunity about working at, you know, your company. Um, and I understand it's related very to funding, but what, a, 
you know, we start at this level, but within six months, instead of having a year end review, we do it within six months and that way we can better align and then have this conversation. Um, but I'm very excited about this role and I, I know that I can be a great asset to the company. And then you have it within six months. I love that. I think that's really good to include in negotiations. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> and I've, then also, I've never brought up any of those things. <laughs> well, one thing too is look at the health insurance, especially with everything happening right now. And if you're looking to start a family or you have a child with, you know, special needs, then that's something you want to look into because it will impact your, you know, pay afterwards. So that could be something where you can do that. You can request an increase in equity, especially for a startup. They might not have stock options or restricted stock units, but maybe you can ask for more equity or an increase in title or ask to be on the manager track within a year. Let's, let's focus and let's put me in the management track because I'm very interested in breaking into management. Um, and that's something I'd be more than happy to discuss. Is there anything that you want to talk about that you're up to? Like, do you have anything coming up? Like what's in the works for you? Yeah. So right now I actually created a one day intensive workshop. Um, it'll be December 19th. I know that a lot of people are, you know, right now it's the holiday. So are people hiring? Uh, what should I be doing? Maybe you're looking to start your new job 2021 and start that job search, or maybe you've been job searching, haven't had that much traction and you want to accelerate it. I created a specific workshop where I'm going to be going through how to create a job search strategy, whether it's you're trying to relocate or maybe pivot into a new industry or you're trying to break into management, or you've just been unemployed and want a job, or you're trying to move to the next step in your career, whatever it may be, I'm going to be discussing like how to create that strategy. Then afterwards, how to prepare for the interview. Um, I provide template scripts that you can use to like how to follow up with a recruiter or, you know, how do I connect with people? I provide all those templates and scripts and tools to really help you succeed. And then I also go through like how to create a network. Most people, they'll say like, I really don't have a network or I feel uncomfortable asking this person. I haven't talked to him in eight, 10 years. And honestly, I didn't really like them in high school. So I don't feel comfortable asking them for a referral. So how do I build my own network connections, whether it's my industry or in a new industry, as well as salary negotiation. All of that will be in a one day workshop where they can get everything finalized and they know exactly what they can do um, and have the tools and resources to really accelerate their job search for 2021. So it's a one-day intensive program, like I mentioned, December 19th from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. And the price is $499, which is a steal because typically for my career coaching, I offer this one-on-one -on -one service and that goes for $3,000. So. I'm going to give them a Better Call Daddy discount? <laughs> I'd be more than happy. I can actually provide for a Better Call Daddy. You know, listeners, if they want, um, for the first 10 people, they actually get a free resume session with me, which can be anywhere between five dollars to $600. Cool. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you want to ask my daddy? You know, I you know what I really enjoyed is I never really had a true father figure. And like I said, I wasn't very close with my stepdad and my dad wasn't around. But even listening to your podcast, I get to learn from like that dad perspective. And, you know, when I was listening to the interview that we were doing with, I believe her name is Sheena, the, the child bride, and kind of that feedback, it's it was very touching and, you know, listening to the other interviews as well from that dad perspective who is there to comfort you and actually seek for your own benefit and keep you secure and everything. I really found it helpful. So I feel that I'm going to keep listening to the podcast, have been listening to the podcast. And that actually is a great, what is it like? It's a great value that you bring, especially to people that don't always have had a great father figure in their lives. 
Aww. If he has any feedback for me, I'd be more than happy to take any advice he has based on everything we discussed today. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask, what? where was your dad? My parents separated when I was eight, and then I was raised by my mom and my stepdad, and my stepdad I don't talk to and never want to talk to ever again. Like I said, that's why I had to grow up very young. <laughs> what happened there? I'd rather not say, but let's just say that I've been having to work through it a lot, and it's something that um, has molded me for who I am and has helped me become a better person because of it. And I've definitely, like I said, I had to grow up very, very young, but there's still a lot that I'm grateful for. So your dad was just like completely out of the picture? Like, well, not this, I still see him. I maybe talk to him once a year or so, but it's just not a very good relationship. And, and it, it's okay. I mean, I still talk to him and, you know, I'm, have that relationship but it's not like a very father figure or it's not something where if I'm in trouble I go to him if I'm in trouble I either you know, talk it out with my husband or I figure it out myself or maybe the relationships that I've built now but they're definitely not part of that inner circle that's so hard do you wish things could be different yes but I also think that I probably would have been a different person and things happen for a reason yeah no a hundred percent oh some tough lessons in life for sure yeah. Well, I appreciate all of the value that you've given and I hope that I can get some better call daddy listeners to sign up for your, it sounds like a steal of a deal. Yeah. Yeah. For 3000. I, and I wanted to make this more accessible. I mean, like I said, most people don't have, you know, 90 days to work with a career coach. You just kind of want to, maybe you're a do it yourself or, or you just want to accelerate that process. That's what the one day intensive tries to deliver and provide you with everything you need to really be able to do it and be able to land that job as soon as possible. Is it like a one day, all day, and yeah, like a group together or, and do they have like lifetime access to it? Like it'll be recorded. It'll be through zoom from 11 to four and it'll almost be like workshop style where I'll say, okay, here's the strategy. Here's what you need to look for. Here's some roadmap templates. That's part of the program that you can download and you can say, if you're doing X, then here's that roadmap. If you want Y, here's that roadmap. And then for the interview coaching, here's the different types of questions you're going to look for. Here's what you, how you should be answering that. Here's these different examples. And I'll be taking calls or not calls, but I'll be taking some volunteers if they wanted to get on and say, hey, here's what's been happening through the interview process. I also tell them and teach them like how to take control of the interview, how to identify uh, maybe something that's preventing them from moving to next steps in the interview or from getting that job offer, how to be able to stand out, how to do some of that research during the interview, what should you be looking at? And like I said, I always tell my clients to make sure we check the health of the company. We want to make sure we're going to a company that we're going to be able to grow and be able to be happy in as opposed to either being laid off or being miserable or really that they hired you to do the job of 10 people they just laid off. So looking at those different items and then I walk through sound negotiation on how you can start preparing and creating that strategy for yourself. And then um, I'll have Q&A. So for if they used to have additional questions, maybe still related to career, but something I didn't bring up, they'd be more than happy to do so. And everything will be recorded. Okay. Awesome. No, I mean, it sounds really amazing. I, I know so many people are going through this right now. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I wanted to offer, like I said, something very speedy that they can do immediately and they can start preparing for 2021. So if they feel that maybe they're not hiring, they're not seeing job postings, this is something they could do in the meantime, start identifying who should they be starting networking with, what companies to look for, how to check the health, how to do a lot of that background research that's needed through job search. And this is a perfect time to do it. So that way when 2021 hits, January, they start seeing those job postings, they can go ahead and execute and be able to accelerate that process. Do you think people should be applying through the holidays? Yeah, they, they should definitely be applying. Now, like for Christmas or maybe certain days, like you can or not, it's still going to go through a queue. When they come back, they're probably going to say, all right, I posted this job for two, three weeks. Um, let me pull the top 15, 20 resumes. What if it's January 2nd and you haven't even had your resume ready at this point? You haven't even applied. So I definitely encourage people to apply now and also creating that strategy of who should you be reaching out to and networking. As for the networking piece, people may be slower to respond depending on how avid user they are through LinkedIn, but still this is a good time to create that strategy. Do you think most people are gonna start hiring more right after the new year? Some people or companies have started now because they're trying to use up that budget before the <laughs> fiscal year ends. And every company's fiscal year is a little bit different. Um, where some companies actually their end of the fiscal year is you know, um, December, January, February. So they're trying to hire those people now, get them in the books. So that way they take that expense for 2020 and not for 2021. So again, it depends on the industry, the company, like education, they usually hire within the summer to hire to start in the fall. So they probably won't be starting until, you know, March, April, May, um, in order to have that person start September. But it's, it differentiates across industries and companies in itself. But I always say always apply because you never know and you don't want to lose an opportunity just because you just didn't apply for it. Okay, final question. Do you help people that are felons. Like you said, you were interested in Sheena's story. I know for a fact that a lot of felons have trouble getting any sort of work. Yeah. So for like what I would do as a transferable skills is look for companies that maybe have mission around it. Startups as well. Typically they'll, and this could be something that you can bring up front as well, addressing the elephant in the room. You know, they're going to do a background check. They're going to see that, but showcase your value first. You know, I would use a you know, we haven't had experience because you've been in prison, uh, but maybe you did learn a lot of those transferable skills. Like, you know, they mentioned in the, in the show, then you can say, well, here's kind of the transferable skills. Here's what I'm looking for. And I'm looking to leverage my experience to do X role. Once they get you the interview, you start, you know, asking questions and then really delivering that value. And then afterwards saying, you know, by the way, I just wanted to be transparent with you. I am a convicted felon. Here's the reasons, but here's what I'm looking for. Is this something you able to, I noticed that your company's mission, it's X, Y, and Z. And also you can focus on non-for-profits as well, you know, working through that. And even through like legal or lawyers, sometimes it depends on how you work through it and what, of course, what you want to prison for. Um, but there's different ways of that actually can become a value, you know, where I can say I can bring that perspective or I learned or I have a lot of intel within that can get us information for specific cases. I can bring that to the table and really help with your current cases that you have going on and able to, you know, provide a resource and value to them. You know, it's really funny, but the way that I'm able to reach really hard to reach people is that I worked in court TV for five years. So okay. I am an expert online researcher. 
Yeah, I saw that for different <laughs> seasons and shows. Um, and you're a, uh, you're a Seinfeld as well as producer. Um, you've had a really quite interesting background. And I mean, now I feel like everything's tying together because you're you know, doing your podcast, you've done the marketing, you're reaching out to people, you're doing a lot of research and everything. I always hear when guests come into your show, you've done really good research and you've done a lot of prep work, which like I said, 80% of the work happens before you would walk into the room and in this case, record a podcast, but yeah. And it's funny too about Sheena. I mean, she just started a Facebook group. She's got 1,600 women in the group. That is not easy to do. <laughs> no, it's not. Trust me, I, I tried to start a Facebook group when I was trying to be a virtual admin, and I had nowhere close to that many um, enthusiasts for my virtual admin. Yeah, I mean, that is a skill. It's a really great skill. And, and so point, many people want to grow online communities. So I'm like, you could do that for others, and her group is engaged. Yeah, and then uh, actually, you just, I just thought about something. There's a lot of entrepreneurs like you and I and like, you know, other people within like the self-development space that they're more likely to say, you know what? I don't even do background checks. I'm just looking for X and Y and Z. Can you help me do that? Yes or no. And then proving and providing through them, working with them. You don't always need to go through corporate. Maybe you don't want to work a nonprofit. You can still look for um, entrepreneurs like within our space that, you know, are looking for that personal development, that we embody that mission, not only in ourselves, but the people that we're trying to help. And, you know, that's another route that you can go as well. I mean, I've now worked with best-selling authors and coaches and done all kinds of random opportunities. I even had one author reach out to me recently and she was like, Hey, I know you worked in court research. She was like, I'm looking to do a true crime story from like 1900 to 1934. Do you know anybody that might be able to find a case that was popular during that time? I'm like, actually I do. You know? <laughs> So you just have to be open to random opportunities like that could fit within your skill set. Yeah, it, it's crazy to think that you did that, you know, a few years ago and all of a sudden it's still bringing a value and asset and, you know, it's able to, you're able to provide and help these, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, aspiring authors or they're already writing their book just through that. And really quick, I just thought about it too. Um, if people are really interested to in a different route, it's going through Upwork or companies like that where you can have your resume and you can have multiple contracts as well. I need to get on Upwork. I really do. I love hiring people through Upwork because I can hear, I can see the reviews. And I even had one of my assistants where she said, Hey, I don't have any reviews. I just need a chance. I'm willing to work hard. All right. You're hired. I mean, we'll take it a trial basis. If it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it's okay. And she's actually been really great. Um, she does a lot of my graphic design, which I do not have that skill. I mean, that's totally how I, not through Upwork, but that's pretty much how I got an editor for my show. I was like, I tried three different ones. I gave them each a cut. I was like, hey, let's see how you can edit one. You love editing. You went to film school. We have a similar style in how we cut together a story. You're hired. Yeah. Well, actually, that's how I'm going to be looking for an editor, too, when I, you know, launch my podcast. I have one if you need one, and she's yes. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Send her over, please. I'll make an intro for sure. Okay. It's great. You. Yeah. I mean, she has made my show what it is. I, I mean, uh, and I saw that you're part, um, part of the Facebook group. She podcasts as well. So I've been learning a lot through there, and, you know, you gave me some great helpful tips, which... Like I said, 80% of the work goes happen. So before I even launch, I really want to make sure that I'm getting that. But 
also being careful of not getting like analysis paralysis. So it's just giving myself a date and then launching it. But yeah. <laughs> you know what? I definitely got caught up in perfectionism. And I think part of that was because I worked in radio, I worked in TV, like I really cared about what I was putting out there, but it does not matter how much you nitpick something. There are always going to be things that you want to change afterwards and you just have to be okay. And like, you've got to push publish. Like <laughs> I probably could have published two months prior to publishing Oh. And you'll get in a groove and it's crazy. Actually, like in the past three days, I've gotten like over a thousand listens and I went from like getting a thousand listens in 30 days to three days. So it builds on itself, you know, and be proud of the journey. Be proud of learning. Like you've already pivoted so many times and look at all that you're doing now. I I'm very impressed by you. You, you should do it. No question. <laughs> yeah. One thing I did pick up is consistency, being able to develop that habit. And that's something that definitely I'm working. I'm telling you, I'm going to launch it before the, I told myself I have to launch it before the end of the year. Otherwise I'm not allowed to talk about it, but honestly, I'm going to do it. And I wanted to do it in a way that kind of similar, you know, posted on YouTube and audio through podcasts because people have def different learning styles or different lifestyles where they might listen to this podcast, but maybe here they're, you know, eating by themselves or having lunch and snacks and they want to see something, they can pull up the YouTube video. Um, Cause that's what I do sometimes. Well, keep in touch. <laughs> And if I can be of help or make any introductions, you know, you're in my network now and I'm happy to help you. So. Oh, thanks so much, Rena. I appreciate it. What's your podcast going to be about? Plug it now. Well, it's going to be about how to work through like the job search, but not only that, you know, how to make it to the executive room. One thing I wish I've known, or I wish I would have had those resources is, you know, especially as a woman, how do you even make it to the executive room? Whether you want to or not, maybe you just want to get to a director level. How do I get there? How can I be more focused today in order to get that and be able to ramp it up? I don't want to spend the next 15, 20 years to get to a director level position. What do I need to do? And what are the metrics I should be focusing on and the skill sets to get me there within five to seven years? And then who are these mentors and people I should be connecting with that can really help me be a better version of myself professionally, how to be able to handle when, you know, my life changes. So like you go from professional to all of a sudden to being married to then having kids and how do you manage through all of that? So I really want to provide this information to people to have access to, and then also bring in like recruiters from Google and Amazon. What are they looking for? You know, I try to build these connections to kind of provide that insight, but you know, I always say like, you know, obviously the recruiters, I want to bring the recruiters and hiring managers and listeners can hear from their own voice to say, what is it that you're looking for? What is the process? Do you really read the cover letter? Most likely they don't, but if you don't submit a cover letter, they'll probably toss your resume away. So I want that transparency and that resource for everyone, whether, you know, you're just trying to get promoted, maybe break into management, or you want to make it all the way to the executive room, this will be the resource for you. Yeah. Have a great night. I think this is going to be an awesome holiday edition. Oh, thank you. Yeah, of course. And have a great Thanksgiving, by the way. Um, yeah. How are you <laughs> My husband's going to do beer can turkey. How about you? Getting the cake. <laughs> we usually fly down to North Carolina um, with my husband's family, but because his dad is high risk, we're just going to stay here. So yeah, one of the things that I asked when I got married was to get recipes from both sides of the family. So now I actually, I'm going to try to make all those recipes. 
Uh, or at least a little portion of it that's closer to like the Thanksgiving meals. So that way I can practice that skill. And then if I don't, I have, you know, still time to get better at it. But I'm excited to try those recipes from like the family, both on his side and my side. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. If I cook anything, it's going to be like pumpkin pie. <laughs> the desserts, right? <laughs> I love desserts. Yeah, my husband's like the meat maker, and then I make all the sides. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, this has been great, and I'm so happy to connect with you. Please stay in touch, and I cannot wait until your podcast comes out. Well, thanks, Rena. Appreciate it, and I'll definitely follow up with you, and let me know if there's anything you need from me as well. Okay. Awesome. Have a great night. So, Daddy, what did you think? Claudia Miller is quite a woman. She's gleaming with confidence gleaming with her abilities from her experiences that she's had. And isn't it where she tried this? She tried that. She tried this. She tried that. And just like you and I both have diverse backgrounds, we then use a piece of each part of the puzzle of life that we've experienced and are putting it together with a much larger picture. And isn't that what the building blocks of life is all about. As she said in her own words, I had to grow up very early because I was really looked at to be counted on to help with my three sisters. And I didn't really have a strong father figure. And I knew as an independent woman that I would have to figure this all out on my own. And she was willing to try things and do things. And if they didn't work out or they weren't what she really wanted to do, where she could really feel the passion for it, she moved on. And as you would say, she pivoted to figuring out the new angle that was necessary for her to succeed in something new and not forgetting where she came from or the things that she learned. Now, what's funny about your father, let's reveal this for the show is that I majored in engineering. I majored in economics or political si and political science and business and in law. So if you think about it, and psychology as well, I took a lot of psychology uh, classes as well, and they, they mushed it all together and called it a liberal studies degree. But really what it was was a liberal life degree because if you wanna help run a business, because I also work day and night in the business, since I'm even in uh, the middle of high school, since I'm 15 years old, or just before I turned 16, I had uh, working papers. I was getting hands-on experience in the business, cultivated by the knowledge of schooling, where I took, again, business classes and economics and finance and accounting and pre-law classes, and then even went to law school. And uh, you're talking about how do you run a business? You have to have engineering. You have to know psychology. You have to have personality to work with people. I interviewed and trained thousands of people. And you gain from that type of experience. This show and what this girl is also emphasizing is that it's got to be personable. It's got to be real. It can't just be something that you've just put in between the lines and filling out some type of uh, paperwork where some of it just gets lost in the shuffle. You have to do your homework. You have to do your studying. Just like if you're going to uh, buy or sell stock, 
you have to understand not only the rhythm of the company and the seasonal factors and the economics of that industry and the, the personality of the company. There's a lot, a lot of research that needs to be done before you can even have an interview with someone or with a company. You have to know something about the company. You have to know something about their engineering department. You have to know something about their marketing strategies. The more knowledge and the more hands-on knowledge that you have about a situation where you can talk on the fly. I was on the debating team in high school. I was on the chess team in high school. I played sports in high school. I was in student council in high school. All of these experiences add up and make you who you are and give you the foundation to learn how to learn and understand that you win a debate, not in necessarily in your presentation, but in rebuttal and, and how you can answer questions on the fly and how you can attack people on the fly and show that you have a good sense of humor where you have real personality. It's called it, as my mom and dad would say, or my grandma and grandpa would say. It's not the dry people that succeed. It's those that have life in them that succeed. What kind of questions did you ask people in interviews? When I was doing a lot of interviewing, I wanted to know if a person had worked for five or six jobs. I wanted to know basically why they left these jobs, what kind of issues that they had on the job. And you can learn a lot just from those two aspects. Because if someone is jumping from job to job to job, that's obviously a way to measure stability. However, if somebody is leaving their jobs where they are gaining skills and knowledge and they're looking for a, a growth opportunity and they don't want to be in a dead-end job and that they outgrew the job, you have to see if your organization can handle the challenge of nourishing someone that is a sponge. We had some excellent people work for our company that were like a sponge, and they wanted to learn how to do everything. And those type of people, especially if you can have somebody that's loyal and dedicated and you can keep up with them, they help make your organization stronger. They make help your company grow as well. So uh, it's a balancing act of making sure that you keep your talented people loyal to your company and be part of your growth and development. I think that's the best way for the organization and for personal enrichment uh, to benefit. Today's episode is sponsored by Rin 10 Media. If you want to look and sound your best for a podcast of your own, you want to get in touch with Rin 10 Media. When I first contacted them, Better Call Daddy was just a twinkle in my daddy's eye. And now, only after a couple months in, we're at like 50 episodes. Reach out to info at ren10media.co.za and use the subject line, Better Call Daddy. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Yeah.